0: Are you listening? Damn. Uh And a big welcome back to the Endurance Hour podcast, episode 365. So if you were listening to these back-to-back, you'd have a year's worth of episodes, which I don't recommend you doing. it just take too long. Anyways... Back alongside Coda Coach Wendy Mader, I'm Dave Erickson. So glad to have you with us on this uh, episode. Lots of great questions, both emailed and from the T2 Endurance Club on Facebook, which was where we begin with this question that was posed by Wendy, and we have some responses. Uh, Does the hotter weather change where and when you run? I know a lot of people are dealing with 80s, 90s, humidity. And uh, how much do you run on trails versus on pavement versus the treadmill? I want to get Wendy's answer first, and then we have a couple of responses from our members inside
1: the group. Go ahead, Wendy. Well, in the past, like, you you know, probably more when I, in the early stages of me being a runner and a triathlete, weather may have impacted whether I ran inside, not necessarily hotter weather, but colder weather definitely impacted me choosing to run inside versus outside because I'm not really a fan of the cold. And since I started trail running, I run mostly on the trails when I can. And especially in hotter weather, you know, here in Georgia, we we've had some heat waves of, you know, 90 to 100 degrees, 60 to 75 percent humidity. So it feels like 105 to 110. I'm going to choose a trail versus the pavement just to try to get some shade. And I'm definitely more of an outdoor runner now with all my years of experience compared to when I started, when I, d- I didn't really mind running on the treadmill. And so for me currently right now and where I'm training, I'm actually choosing to set my schedule where I can run in, in a hot part of the day. Cause I'm training for the Ironman world championships in Kona and I've done it before and it can get really br- brutally hot and humid in Kona. And now that I'm living in Georgia, I can experience Um, hot, brutally humid conditions. And so once or twice a week, I am choosing purposefully to run outside in the heat. And other times I run indoors on the treadmill, just when I'm going for an easy two or three mile recovery run. Sometimes I choose to do that on the treadmill just so I can be entertained by the television. (laughs) It has nothing to do with weather.
0: On Elite E Drive, there's a a few sections, obviously, where there are some trees kind of over the roadway. But other than that, there's no protection from the weather or elements on Hawaii.
1: There isn't. And, you know, I've done it 10 times, and I've only had really one or two times where the heat really got to me. And it was probably my last time I was there. I think that was in 2017 was the last time I was there. And the heat got to me where I remember feeling like, oh, my gosh. this is. I remember saying to myself, this is the first time running in Kona, that the heat is really negatively impacting my mental and physical performance right now. Come on, Wendy, you usually enjoyed this. And I had to do my do a lot of self talk to get myself to get back to the ways I've I've always been where I thrive on heat and I want to overcome the heat. And I want to be the I want to be the best mentally and physically running in the heat because most people aren't. But that day, it was just just i don't know if the humidity was exceptionally high and just no wind and yeah it can get brutal
0: here is this response from jay from inside the t2 endurance club when does the hotter weather change where you run he goes i do and today was a perfect example run where there is as much shade as possible when it's super hot today the ambient temperature during my run was in the upper 90s and the heat index was in the low 100s it, low 100s? Is it can it get higher than 100? Uh, I bassed in every shady section of my route, did a seven-mile run, and emptied my two-liter Camelback. Took a salt stick um, around mile three and a half. That said, it was manageable, but a wee bit brutal. My goodness, can you relate to those those numbers, Wendy?
1: Yes, because Jay lives in Georgia. He's probably an hour or so north of where I live, and. Totally relatable, you know, in two liters of fluid in a seven mile run, that's a lot mm. of fluid for seven miles. I'm going to say the seven miles is probably most people are going to do between, you know, somewhere between an hour and an hour and a half, depending on your speed. And that's definitely a lot of fluid. But I totally understand where he's coming from because I've experienced that same heat. Where, you know, it gets to the point where it's dangerous. I don't know if I talked about this on the podcast last week or the week before, but I intentionally did a five-mile run on the track in the open. It was basically an open road, no shade, and that was my intention. And I, my goal was about five miles, and when I got there, I started feeling goosebumps, and that's when I knew I was on the verge of um, not, maybe heat exhaustion. That's a sign of heat exhaustion, not heat stroke, but I, I'm definitely – in tune with my body and I know when how far I can push it and when I need to be done And the reason I chose the track is because I could bail at any time My car was right around the corner parked in the parking lot. So it was one of those things that I Just wanted to test how far I can make it at a certain intensity and um, And my threshold was about five miles at the t- intensity I was and I'm like I'm done I got, I need to cool off right now before I get sick Yeah,
0: I find if I have enough hydration you know, stashed around my route that I will purposely go out at the hottest time of the day. And this is the the sick triathlete in my, uh, in, in my head where I want to suffer. I want to see how long I can suffer in these elements because it builds my confidence. If I know I can deal yeah. with 90 plus degrees, it's super hot. My body is trying to adapt that when it comes time to a race, I can, you know, uh, go back in my mind going, okay, I've done this before. It's, you know, I've done it, I can do it again. Or I dealt with it, or I just need a little more hydration and I'll be able to get through this section. So, and I've I've raced in some pretty hot temperatures in the past and just that uh, experience says you can do it. So I go out It's like, oh, like I've done, done a bike ride outside when it's hot and my wife will say, this is the hottest time of the day. I go, exactly. I want to suffer. I want to feel, I want to mm-hmm. push. I want to test myself. But, you know, with, again, with hydration in the right spots, it's, it's, it's easier. And this is something um, mm-hmm. i got to remind myself of next time. The last two bike rides I went out, it was in high 80s and low 90s. And I got two bottles on my bike. Both have the powder of the liquid IV. So it gives it some flavor and it's supposed to help penetrate you uh, eat better when you drink this stuff. And I go, I wish I would have had one bottle of pure water so I can spray it in my face. Because you know, mm-hmm. I get sweat in the eyes, which I've been having a problem lately. I go, no, I can't do that because I don't, I know I get all this sticky, you know, strawberry flavor water in my eye. It's yeah. not a good idea. Although I don't, I don't think it'll be bad, but it's not going to be good. So, uh, just a reminder for myself and maybe for someone else. If you have fluid nutrition slash maybe in your your water bottles, keep one st- strictly water. That way, you can splash it on you and not have issues.
1: <clears throat> mm-hmm.
0: One more question, since we're on the the idea or feeling of discomfort. Now, this is another question that Wendy posted inside the T2 Endurance Club on Facebook. What are your thoughts about developing mental skills when you feel discomfort? Wendy, how about, what's your answer?
1: Well, I think for me, the way to develop um, mental strength or mental skills is to do hard things. And doing hard things means doing something that challenges you. It doesn't mean that you may achieve it, but setting a a a, kind of a realistic and attainable goal that's challenging, whether you achieve it or not, you you know, for someone like me, if I don't achieve it the first time, I'm going to keep tackling it because that makes me mentally confident. And, you know, there's definitely more to performance racing than just doing your sport, whether it's single sport or multi-sport is, is developing, you know, solid nutritional habits as well as mental skills to overcome any, you know, issue, especially something that you can't control, developing these mental skills will help you overcome it. Things that you can't control could be some sort of mechanical or you trip over something. You know, I've heard stories of people running or biking and an animal like a dog might run in their way and they might fall. And if you have some mental good mental skills build up in your toolbox, your mental toolbox, you're going to be able to have, you know, stick to that positive attitude and kind of overcome those things. And I just read the book um, by Steve Magnus, Do Hard Things, and he kind of talks about all of this, um, uh, you know, just exactly what I said. Some of the concepts he talks about is doing hard things to develop the mental state of mind when it comes to performance.
0: Yeah, there's a a little quote that I have on my wall in my uh, workout room says, if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you and it's about being uncomfortable. It's about putting yourself in situations where you haven't been before. That way, when you do challenge yourself, you will get better as a result.
1: Yeah, and for me, back in the day, it was as simple as as running hills and riding hills. You know, like I used to avoid them. I lived in Colorado. If I went east, I could ride flatter. If I went west, I could ride hillier. If I went in the mountains, I could ride really long and hilly. And so for me, it started back in the day, you know, I started triathlon in the early 90s where running was really a weak length for me back then. And I just started doing challenging things like running and riding hills to overcome that hurdle that was that was physical, but it was mental as well. And I I find myself when I'm in when I'm challenged by something mentally and it could just be, you know, getting up in the morning and going to do a hard workout, you know, just as simple as that when I find myself hesitating, do I really want to do that? Well, that drives me to say, yes, I have to go do that because there's a mental barrier right now in the fact that I said I might not want to do that. So I have to go do it just (laughs) to overcome that. And that's, that's how I develop mental strength.
0: And you're, you're aware of this too. You're aware of that little negative self-talk of, I don't want to do this. Maybe I should do this. Kind of keep like telling me, like if you're you're scared of open water or you've had some bad experiences, get back in there and mm-hmm. maybe create a new experience, and get a new memory that covers up the old one of a positive experience. And right, and I right. And I thought about that with uh, you were kind of pep talking me a little bit about an Olympic triathlon I have coming up in a few weeks uh, on the 13th of August, and it's the same one I had last year in which I thought I was going to drown for the first time ever. Because I was swallowing water, it was a little bit choppy, and I just um, it was scary. And it's coming up again on the 13th of August, and um, and I'm thinking about doing this a lot again. It's the same situation: they take you out on a ferry, drop you off one point uh, a mile, you know, 1,500 yards away, and you swim to shore. Thinking about doing that with the, the thought of I don't care about the time; I just want to get through this successfully, and then. Um, possibly hammer the bike and so on. But that might Mm -hmm. be something to face like you're talking about kind of, you know, being uncomfortable.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I wouldn't not want you to do that because you have that mental barrier of a bad experience a couple months or a month ago in that same open water swimming. And so I wouldn't not, I wouldn't want that to be the reason you don't do it. You know, for me, that's the main reason you should do it. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, again, I, I've, I've developed these, you know, skills and just through my experience. And so, you know, sharing my experience with others to help them overcome stuff is really helpful. So you should definitely do it. And if you can't do it because of, you know, life um, yeah. and other things you have going on, then that makes sense to not do it.
0: Well, it's similar to the just, you know, having doing new habits <clears> because they, they, cover-up, not the cover-up, but you know, you're know like you you're developing a, a new foundation on top of an old, poor foundation or creating a new foundation. Here are my new memories. Here are my new experiences that I can draw on, just like running in heat. Oh, I've only done it once. Well, if you do it three or four more times, now you have a lot more to draw from, more hopefully positive or learning experiences, just like if I get out there and swim this with a different mindset of, all right, I'm just not going to try to go too fast. I'm going to try to survive this uh, in a different way. And then next time I swim, I go, Oh, I did fine last time. Or I did better last time. And then I go a little bit better, a little bit better. So like, like, like habits, we do them over and over again, where the old habits are, no longer exist. And then maybe the old memories no longer exist because you have many more positive memories.
1: Yeah. And each experience impacts the next one. So the, mm-hmm. the experience you had last month is already obviously us talking about is, is going to impact your, your next experience.
0: This one from Todd, and I feel really just sad for Todd. Um, I'm three weeks out from my first seventy point three, and I pulled my hamstring last weekend playing with the kids. I don't know if he's just thinking he quote pulled it, or it's a deep bruise, or something strain. Either way, he feels like it's you know bad enough to where he he writes in this week. I've not been able to run more than a mile. Any advice is pre- greatly appreciated. I'm definitely in neurotic panic mode right now, trying to rest as much as possible. What do you tell Todd when he's got a hamstring issue before his first 13.1-mile run within a triathlon?
1: Well, first of all, I can totally relate. Again, back in the day, a lot of my injuries were usually calf or posterior tibialis tendonitis related, so it was lower leg injuries. And my injuries usually happened when I was playing. It didn't happen during the sport of running or biking or swimming. It would be like I would just be playing with friends. I'd be running out to my car to grab something Um, just random. I would I would pull a muscle or pull my calf or something like that. And so I think the first thing I would say is, you know, something I didn't do back in the day was get a diagnosis. You know, this is back, you know, 20, 25, 30 years ago. Where I was young, I really didn't understand physical therapy or chiropractic or anything like that. I didn't have the funds either. I was a college student. So I think the first and foremost is you definitely, you know, invest in time and money and go get a professional opinion about what happened. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times, because you know everything in your body is connected, you're feeling a, a pulled or tight hamstring. And, and again, maybe it's not pulled, maybe it's just tight. And with, with some sort of physical therapy, chiropractic massage, um, we, all the, all of those therapists do so many different protocols to heal or really to diagnose and to heal. You might just need one treatment of something and then you're all better. So definitely knowing exactly what's going on, I think is going to give you peace of mind. And it helps you assess what you're, what you can and cannot be doing. You know, maybe for the next, you know, couple of weeks, you're just doing some aqua jogging just to maintain that running form and feel of that running motion, as well as, you know, maybe bump up your cycling if your hamstring doesn't hurt as well as maybe cycling is still impacting your hamstring. Maybe you don't feel it on the bike, but maybe it's definitely not allowing it to fully heal. So you know, again, I, I, I don't know what's going on. You, you, you can't really self-diagnose yourself. I just think it's really important to go to a professional and see exactly what's going on. Maintain a positive attitude. Whether it's something that's simple to fix or not, rest is obviously best. If it's, if you're having some pain, you definitely want to rest it. Ice it. Maybe take some ibuprofen.
0: It's been a while since I've had a hamstring issue, and mine actually was during Taekwondo. And That was really frustrating. I remember it was. I remember that. I mean, it was the first the first six months of of doing that, and I just didn't know my body. Didn't know what how inflexible I really was, and it really it, it was a, it, a big issue for running. I don't remember it being a problem for cycling, but I do remember it being a problem for running quite a bit. And of course, the the advice, the medical advice was stay off and let it rest, which was not really an option. And I limped through the, that season. So Todd, if, if anything, I know it's your first, you could just swim and bike and walk the first, yeah. depends on what the, if it's a loop or out and back kind of thing. And then just assess at that point to see how it's going. You, you, you already signed up for it. You're within a, probably can't get a refund. Most likely go and do it and get that first two experiences and then just play it by ear. And, and then you'll have swim and bike experience.
1: Right. And also, you know, I've spent a lot of, I've done a lot of Ironman's having injuries, you know, eight weeks out. I know it's a little bit longer time frame where I have rested it and not run. Mm-hmm. And come race day, you know, I'm able to run and I'm able to get through it. So you do have time to rest it, maybe get as much healing as you can with some, a little bit of therapy. Um, like I said, there's so many different therapy protocols out there. There's cupping, mm-hmm. um, trigger point, dry needling, acupuncture, you know, something like that could be, you know, one or two, three sessions and then you're good to go and then make sure you follow our recovery protocol after your race and, um, you know, kind of assess why you got it. Did you, did you do a super hard workout the day that you heard it playing with your kids? Or maybe you did a super hard workout the day before, so kind of you know looking back at what may have caused it to um, pull or whatever happened.
0: Yeah, this question from Catherine. I love this because we've all, we're, we've all been there or we're going to be there. Uh, I've been following your Couch to Olympic Distance train plan on Training Peaks in preparation for her first triathlon in September. I have a few questions on what to expect for the race morning. Her race starts at 8, 8 a.m. it's open water there's a couple bullet point questions what time should I arrive I don't normally eat before uh, an early morning workout and know I should on race, and I know I'm gonna race in the morning what do you recommend in terms of food and obviously not familiar with the transition areas any tips on how to set up transition area other tips are appreciated so let's begin race starts at 8 for an Olympic what time should she arrive
1: you know, it's a great question. And sounds like she's she's has some time to plan. So I like to arrive too early, two hours early, at least 90 minutes at the latest, I, I tend to get a little anxiety if I'm not um, parking my car 90 minutes before the start of my race, because sometimes parking your car involves a little bit of a walk half mile or a mile walk to the transition area. Sometimes you arrive to the venue and there's a long line of cars. This has happened to me a lot at the Boulder Reservoir when I lived in Colorado. And then all of a sudden th- that 90 minutes turns into 60 minutes when mm-hmm. you're parking your car and you only have 60, 60 minutes, which is plenty of time. But it could cause a little panic or anxiety or maybe not. It's your first one. So you don't know what panic and anxiety feels like yet so I would say at least arrive 90 minutes up to two hours beforehand that gives you plenty of time to park get to transition rack your bike set up your bike gear set up your run gear go to the bathroom because a lot of times those portage on lines can can be very long and a lot of times you might have to go to the bathroom two or three times so you have plenty of time to do that. If it's an open water swim, maybe you're you're going to be swimming in your wetsuit. So that also gives you plenty of time to put your wetsuit on. And if the venue allows an open water swim warm up before the start of your event. So there's a lot of things that you do keep. You can keep yourself busy within that 90 minutes to two hours. So as far as like breakfast goes, definitely um, with the higher anxiety level, you're going to be expending more calories. So you definitely should eat breakfast and you should practice eating breakfast before your workouts so you know how your um, digestive system is going to work. So if you're going to be planning on getting to the venue 90 minutes to two hours ahead of time, that means you're going to be waking up probably about three hours before the start of your race. If the race starts at 7, you're going to be awake at about 5 o'clock. And so that allows you yourself time to drink water, coffee, whatever, you're, whatever you do, as well as eat a breakfast. The traditional breakfasts that most people eat are going to be like maybe oatmeal, peanut butter and, or oatmeal and some fruit, maybe with an egg in it to get some higher protein content. I'm a traditional um, bagel or some sort of bread product with peanut butter and banana with my coffee. That's something I do on a, on a mostly regular basis. So I know that's going to work for me race day. And yeah. then as far as like the, the transition setup, I've actually done a video that you should go check out. It's called Triathlon Then and Now. And I talk about how my transitions used to look like 30 years ago and how they look now and all the gear. Hmm. But you definitely want to keep your transition setup minimal with just bring bring a backpack full, you know, with your your helmet, if you have cycling shoes, socks, visors, sunglasses, what you're gonna wear on the bike. As well as maybe if you're going to wear different shoes on the run, make sure you have your running shoes, maybe put socks on on the run instead of the bike, have that bib number um, on a racing belt is probably best, as well as um, a couple bottles of hydration and, and other nutrition for your transition, as well as, you know, obviously your suit, I would bring a small towel And then also something that I've often forgot is a pair of uh, or a set of dry clothes Mm. or something to change into after your race. Sometimes I just totally um, space that because I'm I'm preparing my transition for what I need to do in transition. And then I forget about, well, after the race, what am I going to wear? So that's something important to keep in mind.
0: You know, Catherine, I think if you just uh, lay things out and people will take pictures of this and I have in the past, lay things out the night before of uh, what your little sections. And this is my swim pile, my bike pile, my run pile, how it might look. And of course, your your clothes pile for afterwards. You know, what am I wearing on uh, to the race? Am I wearing my, my, my <coughs> kit underneath uh, the clothes that I wear okay. to the race? What's the weather going to be like that day? So do I need to pack something extra, whether it's arm warmers or gloves or am I wearing socks I always like this little tip of putting some baby powder or some powder in your socks so you can put those on in case your feet are wet it's a nice little you know it's, it's just a it's like a warm blanket around your feet if you have a, a dry pair of socks with a little powder on it helps to get your feet in there as well same thing with powder possibly in your shoes uh, bike shoes and running shoes I do both just to have some dry no matter what dry shoes uh, but lay things out ahead of time, and then kind of go through your mental checklist. If you've never been to a triathlon, I can understand some of these questions being like, you know, what do I? What's it gonna? What do I expect? What will it look like? There's lots of videos online. Check out Wendy's about you know triathlon then and now that will help out. But just you look at any triathlon uh, Ironman video, they, you can just see what a transition area looks like and how people are milling around. Um, but for an Olympic,
1: yeah, and time, go ahead. Well, there's time to maybe maybe, you, maybe you're going to do a sprint before your Olympic or maybe you can go volunteer at a race and kind of that's going to help you, guide you on mm-hmm. what to do if you volunteer.
0: Yeah, for Olympic and your nutrition, yeah, you need to have something. It's going to be a, if it's your first one, it might be a three-hour race or longer uh, probably. I don't know. That's just, just my guess for your Olympic. So you'll want to have some food along the way and take advantage of those aid stations. Pace yourself.
1: Yep, and have fun.
0: This question is from Tom, and he uh, he's purchased some programs from us, our couch to half iron, and uh, also this inf- information about his uh, first sprint looks like it. He had a sprint triathlon, and he and he says here, uh, utilize the first 10 miles of the bike as an FTP test. So he's doing the first 10 miles of a sprint, so that's almost all the, the bike, bike uh, distance. Based on the results, I think that over... That I overrode the beginning of my half Ironman bike the month before over eighty five percent of my FTP. Next time, I'm going to target about seventy five percent of my FTP next half Ironman. Is that correct? We'll answer that one quest- first, and then we'll move on. Wendy.
1: So yes, congratulations, Tom. Um, he had he we've talked about him on the podcast before. He did a half Ironman following our Couch 2 program. Um, he struggled a little bit with nutrition and and he had followed up with me and told me that could have been because of his pacing on the bike. And, um, I think, you know, uh, you know, let's talk about what a functional threshold power test is. It's, it's a test to determine your power training zones, usually zones one through five recovery, endurance, tempo threshold and speed zones. And so I think a sprint distance or an Olympic distance triathlon could serve anyone well as a functional threshold power test Um, Your functional threshold power is usually the average power it takes you to do a one hour effort. And if you do like a sprint race, that's usually going to be maybe a a 30 to 45 minute effort. And then you can kind of take, you know, generally maybe 90, 95% of that. Or if you think you could hold that for an hour, then that's your functional threshold power. That's your zone four. That's usually what you, what I like to target in a sprint and Olympic race. When it comes to a half Ironman, I generally recommend that 80 to 85% range, the lower end for a less experienced athlete and the higher end for a mo- more experienced athlete. So if you're going to target 75%, I think you're I think that might be a little low. And at the same time, I think if you're if that, that's what you're going to target and that's your execution plan, I think it's a good one um, to see how. You, your nutrition goes to see how your pacing goes and to set you up for a better run, doing a little bit lower effort on the bike. And also you're going into your next half Ironman at a new fitness level. So you've already done one. You have all this experience and all this knowledge from a pacing and nutrition perspective. Your training is at a new level now than it was um, as a lead up to your first half Ironman. So you want to take all those into consideration as you're thinking about how to pace the bike. Um, maybe maybe instead of 75%, maybe you're going to go a little bit higher, maybe 78 to 80%. I think it would be a, a better range for you because you have a little more experience now than you did after the first one.
0: His follow-up question is, should I be focusing more on normalized power or average power early on the bike?
1: Um, I think I always go for normalized power because that takes into consideration the varying terrain. So it could be your normalized power on a very hilly terrain can be a lot higher than your average power just due to the grade of the hills and how hard you're pushing the hills. So I think normalized power is to look at um, instead of average power.
0: Yeah, and I pulled up just for clarification here. Uh, when you look at the difference between normalized power and average power, to put it simply, average power is the reflection of what you actually did during the ride, including your coasting. So that's the overall average. If you, you know, normalized power approximates what you could have done at the same level of effort had you ridden at a perfectly steady pace. So that's the difference between normalized versus the average power of the overall ride. And I remember uh, from my yeah, last... And if you're, go it, ahead.
1: Well, if you're going to race like a super flat course and you're like hammering a super flat course, your normalized power could be your average power. They're pretty close.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was looking at my numbers from the Coeur d'Alene half Ironman that I did a little while ago, and my average power was 193 in the watts, but my normalized power was 214. And, and that's because of the coasting. There was a lot of hills in this, in this course. So you know, a lot of coasting downhill where I wasn't pedaling or pushing as much. But overall, it was 214. And I know now that that's probably a little too much for me. So if, I'm, I, I, do a, if I do that course again, I would even throttle back even more. Uh, so I wouldn't have the, um, the higher power average, uh, normalized power to save myself for the legs. Even though I did a pretty decent job on Accomplishing that, anyhow. Mm-hmm. That's just that's my example of when I did this this race. One ninety three was the average, while two fourteen was the normalized. Big difference. Yeah. Uh, did he have one more question here? I think he had one more follow up. Did he? He also wanted to say that he really liked the recent podcast discussion on picking an Ironman race because he's grappling between grappling between Lake Placid and Maryland uh, next year because they're pretty close to drive to. And this year's plan is two halves to get experience and knowledge before next year. Thoughts?
1: I think it's great that he's doing halves to get experience and knowledge before his first full, because mm-hmm. I think those athletes, at least from my experience, the ones I've coached and the ones that i just known who do their first triathlon as an Ironman, it's a huge, it's a huger, bigger learning curve than if you have some shorter distance races leading up to your first bowl. And so, so kudos to him for kind of planning this out. I've never done Maryland. It's a fairly new race. Um, I hear logistically, it's a little bit harder to get to as far as travel, but if you live on the East coast, then it's not for you. I'm thinking people who live on the West coast and, um, but I don't know anything about the Maryland course. But Lake Placid, I think, you know, it's, it's hilly, it's it's difficult, it's a hilly bike, a hilly run, but it's so beautiful. I, I definitely think if anyone has a chance to do Lake Placid, you know, the Olympics were there, and it's just an awesome town and venue, and the Adirond- Adirondacks, I just think it's awesome. So, yes, if you can make Lake Placid happen, I definitely would recommend that.
0: I've only been to Lake Placid, I think, it, it feels like I've been there twice, <clears> but maybe just once. Maybe just once, it would, but it was a great experience. So that's why it feels like I was there for a long... I was there for a long time, like four or five days. And someone was asking me about, is Chattanooga coming up? It's like, oh, that's what it is. Uh, I, I had massage. I get massage and chiropractic every two weeks, combination thing. Mm-hmm. And the lady there, or was the chiropractor, said that a friend of his is doing Chattanooga, and strategically, in hopes of getting a slot the following year, because... It must be in September, Chattanooga. Does that sound right, Chattanooga in September? Yeah, sounds because right. yeah. The guy's hoping that all the qualifiers, the, the top-end athletes in his age group, will be in Kona and won't be at that race, which makes sense, and that he can have a better chance of getting a slot for the following year.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good strategy, and I think it's a strategy that a lot of athletes use because people like us talk about it on podcasts. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a great, I think it's a great strategy though, especially this year because the athletes who qualified for Kona in 2019, 2020, 2021, are all going to Kona, and so that's a lot of athletes this year that will be in Kona in October, the beginning of October, and they won't be doing fall. Ironmans. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a good strategy this year, definitely.
0: Good questions and good topics for episode 365. By the way, before the podcast started, I um, included a few new members to the T2 Endurance Club on Facebook and added two new members. So our total membership in our private group on Facebook is 704, and we're keeping it low uh, because we want this to be a somewhat intimate group of multi-sport athletes who are... Looking to learn more about swim, bike, and run, endurance, strength, nutrition, and so on. And you have to answer a few questions. If you don't answer those questions, then you will just be pending until you do. But uh, a few new members in T2 Endurance Club on Facebook. Uh, Wendy, what a a great uh, way to cap off the week. What are you doing this weekend to um, finish out your week?
1: Well, I'm doing um, the first of a I think it's an eight race series of the dirty spokes, uh, trail running. It's an 8.7 mile trail run. Um, it's pretty local to me. It's about a 40 minute drive at red top mountain state park, which is absolutely one of my favorite places to be because they have great trail running as well as open water swimming. And I did this race last year and there's a a 5k and also the 8.75 mile run. And when I was kind of near the finish line, I was, thought I was following the right directions by the volunteer to make a right. I thought they said, if you're doing the 5k, you go straight. If you're not doing the 5k, you go right. Mm. So of course I turned right. And then all of a sudden I'm at the finish line and I'm like, wait, I'm doing the long course. I'm not supposed to be finishing. Uh-huh. So, you know, it's, it's pretty typical. The race directors, you know, we're, we are kind of buddies. They know me. They just laughed at me cause I've gotten uh, misdirected before and it's totally my fault. So then I had to get back on track and finish the, finish the long course. So kind of this is a little bit of a, a redemption race for me. I want to I want to do it right this year.
0: I'm sure they know who you are. When you, they should be able to say, Oh, here comes Wendy. Wendy go left. Wendy Wendy go left. And don't talk to anybody else. <laughs> stay left. Stay left.
1: And I've you know, I've spent a, the last couple of weekends I've spent up there training again. I hadn't been up there in a few months, so I'm like I got to go reacquaint myself with. Um, those trail runs up at red top mountain state park so I can run the race and do it right. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of looking forward to it. My husband's doing the 5k.
0: You can be so, you know, it's in, in the moment and these uh, trail runs or uh, mountain bike races where it's like, you're just, you're just focusing on running. The next thing you know, is like, where was that? Was that a marker? When my, is that a flag to the left yeah. Is that a flag to the right? What, what is that? Is that red or blue? Uh, what did I just pass? Uh, a couple years ago I did this uh, 24-hour mountain bike race with a team I think twice and the second time I did mm-hmm. it they changed the course a little bit and I forget why they did uh, but there's some familiarity with it like oh I know this area and like oh this is new this year I'm not comfortable I don't know where this goes and then you get back on course and it's just it's a little frustrating because you're so focused on maybe not falling, uh, the scenery the people around you just getting your steps correct And then you see uh, a flag, which is that hopefully it's pointing in the right direction. Someone hasn't knocked it over.
1: And And that that could be a problem, too. You know, the the markings, whether they're flags or chalk or whatever, can wash away from storms. Mm -hmm. Um, Someone could, you know, that everything could be set up the night before. And then someone could come by in the morning who doesn't like trail bike or running events and they could take all the flagging down. And so, you know, I know I get it. I was a race director. It's everyone's responsibility to know, to know the course and stuff. But when it comes to trails, it's definitely helpful to have the, the correct markings and, you know, barriers in case, you know, you have the choice to go left or right, you know, having a barrier, which dirty spokes productions is great at having these barriers to say, don't go this way. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I'm like, well, I want to go that way, but it's telling me not to. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, they're just a lot of fun. Yeah. It's a great company.
0: Well, looking forward to hearing your recap of how that went this year, if you were on course or not. That'll be next <laughs> Thank week. Thank you. Uh, for Coach Wendy Mater, I'm Dave Erickson. Thanks so much for listening and for following us on social media. We'll see you next week. Have a great week of training, racing, or recovery. Adios.
1: Adios. <laughs>